we're going to have uh, this passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, on the overhead again. But I want to encourage you, this will be the last Sunday. Uh, I'll actually finish this up probably uh, a couple of Sunday nights. Uh, but we began this series on, on Mother's Day. I had no idea that there would be so much knowledge and richness that we could pull out of this passage of Scripture. Now, that's my fault because the Word of God is living and active, and it cuts down to the innermost part of our soul. And if we come to the Word of God desiring to be fed, God will speak. And I just pray that God's spoken to your heart. He has certainly spoken to mine about our responsibility as, as parents. So let's pray, and we'll get into the Word again. Father, I do thank you that we can come into your house Lord, we confess again that we are unworthy in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus, we are found worthy to be in your sight and in your presence. And Father, I thank you today that you are speaking God and that you want to speak our hearts and lives on a daily basis, not just on Sunday mornings. But Father, as we have set this time aside to worship you and to open and study your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the words that Moses were instructed by you to write many, many years ago. Pray that you'll take these words and speak to our heart. Thank you, Lord, for every person who has come. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll fill our cups this day with your word and help us, Father, to know what our responsibilities are as Christian parents. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read this passage of Scripture again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And please notice that Moses is making it, it clear. God gave me this word to teach and train you, that you may do them in the land of which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Now, please notice again, he's talking about the entire family. He's talking about every generation. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." For the four previous Sundays, we have heard from God about our role as parents through what I believe is a very powerful passage of Scripture. Here are some of the major teachings that I hope that you and I have discovered. And one of the main ones is this, that before you and I can be Christ-like men or women or husbands or wives or fathers or mothers or grandparents, before we can be that Christ-like person, we must be in right relationship with God. And I believe that Moses is teaching the people the word of God that for us to be responsible and godly parents, we must first ourselves be in right relationship with God. 
But before God gives the parental responsibilities in verse 7, God instructs the people how they can be in right relationship with him. And I want you not to make the mistake that many do, that just because this passage of Scripture is thousands of years ago, that it's not applicable to our time. These instructions were not only given to Moses and to the Hebrew people and to the nation of Israel, but these words have been given to every generation of believers, to all nations, and most especially to the church of Jesus Christ. Please notice in these instructions that God gives five. Listen to these. Number one, fear the Lord. Verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, your son's son. Number two, obey the Lord. By keeping his statutes and commandments, verse 2, verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Unless we think that this is just something that the Old Testament has, folks, the Lord Jesus himself backs this up. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 15 and following. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if a man loves me, and again, folks, we need to underscore these words of the Lord. If a man loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That is such a tremendous passage of Scripture. We know that the Holy Spirit has been sent to indwell us. But Jesus is trying to say here that obedience allows the filling of God within our lives and within our homes. And this is something we need to understand. Verse 24, he, do, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father sent me. The third instruction is that we're to have no other gods but the Lord. Jesus is not only to be the Lord of our lives, but he is to be the Lord of our homes. Jesus cannot be the Lord of our homes until he is the Lord of our individual lives. Number four, how are we to love the Lord? with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. We are not to give God a half-hearted love, but a whole-hearted love. And then, and then, when we're in right relationship with the Lord, when we're walking with God in verse 6, when the word of God is upon our heart, then we can teach our children diligently, as God says in verse 7. Teach them diligently to your children shall talk of them. And folks, let me point something out. God is not speaking here saying that's all the conversation that we ought to have. But what God is saying, when you and I are modeling Christ, our children, then we can begin to teach them about God. And I want to remind you of the first message where we talked about who first taught the children about God. It was the parents. Who were the first teachers of children, Adam and Eve, as they taught Cain and Abel about God. God intended the home to be units of worship, of revelation of God, and of spiritual education. And folks, you and I can make a difference. So let's get back to where we left off last Sunday. Last Sunday we were talking about if Jesus is not Lord of our lives, how can he be Lord of our homes? And folks, I want to point something out, and and please hear none of this said judgmentally. It is so easy to stand in a pulpit and tell the world what's wrong. 
It's so easy to nitpick the bad things that are going on. But, folks, I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of our lives and not Lord of our homes, then we are endangering our homes. You know, this past week, as I was drinking coffee one morning, uh, I happened to see uh, one of these. I don't know if you can see this in the back, but anybody who's got children or young grandchildren know exactly what this is. This is one of the locks that you put on cabinet doors where you might have anything stored that a young child might get, get a hold to that might harm them. An exa- a good example of this is any type of cleaning materials. It can be so toxic to a child. And so we've got these all over the place now at our house. We hadn't had one for 30-something years, and I'd forgotten about these things. But a concerned parent puts these locks there to protect their children. And God put certain parameters in his word and in our lives to protect us and to protect our homes. And folks, I believe that one of the sad parts about our society today, because we have kicked God out of not only the government and the schools, it seems, we've not allowed him to be in our homes. And we're endangering our homes And let me give you three examples of this, okay? And again, hear me from a heart of of wanting our homes to be better. First of all, when Jesus is not Lord of our homes, then we endanger our homes to being enslaved to sin. By not only the parents, but also the children. You know that expression, like father, like son? Are we passing on, and perhaps we don't do it intentionally, but are we passing on sinful habits that will enslave our children? Perhaps it's drug or alcohol abuse. Perhaps it's sexual abuse. Perhaps it's violence within the home against each other. Perhaps it's our attitude of anger and and not loving each other as we should. Do you and I not understand that Satan desires to capture our home? And I don't believe, now, again, I'm just speaking an opinion here, and I haven't lived in any other time frame except from September the 9th, 1951, up to this date. But I believe that the generation we have right now, the younger generation, and this is not a criticism of you, the younger generation is being attacked by Satan. Satan wants to capture this generation I don't believe there's ever been an opportunity for young people to get more involved in sin and in illegal and unethical things than there are today. And again, that's not a criticism of young people. But folks, what I'm trying to say, if you and I don't present the Lord Jesus to them in the home, if we do not model Christ in the home, where will they hear about him? And there's a chance that our children could be enslaved to sin. Last Sunday, do you remember we read out of Romans chapter 6? I want to read these verses again. And folks, to me, what's most important about the worship service is sharing the word of God. I want to read this passage of scripture. And last Sunday we read this, and I hope you noticed the word surrender was used five times in this passage. And Paul talks about surrendering our life. Uh, Some translations uh, use the word offer or yield. But have we yielded, have we surrendered our lives, and then have we yielded and surrendered our home to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if we have not, if Christ doesn't reign in our home, guess who will? Sin will. 
And let me give you scripture to back this up. Okay, Paul here is speaking in a personal note about individual lives, but I believe this can be uh, applied to homes. Listen to what he says beginning in Romans 6.6. And we know that our old being has been put to death with Christ on his cross in order that the power of the sinful self might be destroyed so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. In the same way, you are to think of yourselves as dead so far as sin is concerned, but living in fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. Sin must no longer rule in your mortal body so that you obey the desires of your natural self. Nor must you surrender. That's the first time the word surrender is used. Nor must you surrender any part of yourselves to sin to be used for wicked purposes. Instead, give yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purposes. And again, apply this to the home. As we surrender our homes, as we surrender our marriages, as we surrender our children and grandchildren to God, his righteous purposes begin to be done in our homes and in our marriages. But he says in verse 14, sin must not be your master, for you do not live under law but under God's grace. Let me get you to back up. Surely you know that when you surrender yourselves as slaves to obey someone, you are in fact the slaves of the master you obey, either of sin which results in death or of obedience which results in being put right with God. But thanks be to God, for though at one time you were slaves to sin, you have obeyed with all your heart the truths found in the teaching you received. You were set free from sin and became the slaves of righteousness. I use everyday language because of the weaknesses of your natural selves. At one, one time, you surrendered yourself entirely as slaves to impurity and wickedness for wicked purposes. In the same way, you must now surrender yourselves entirely as slaves of righteousness for holy purposes. And folks, again, I believe as Paul is speaking to the individual, it also applies to our homes. Folks, are our homes enslaved to sin? Are our homes out of control? And folks, again, I stand here not to be judgmental. Folks, I know what this is all about. There's so much that is happening in the home now. And folks, the second thing, the second danger is that you and I would lose the blessings of God that he intended for the home. I don't believe that God intended for our marriages and our homes to be war zones. And I must admit, I've been there at times, and I know that can happen. Should not our homes represent the relationship we have with the Heavenly Father and Lord? Think about that relationship. In our relationship with God, there's love and forgiveness. We can transfer that to the home. In our relationship with God, there's fellowship and growth. God intended that as a family unit, we would grow closer together instead of drift farther and farther apart. God intended that there would be fulfillment in marriage and in raising children, but have our families become dysfunctional war zones. And folks, up until recently, I'd never heard that word used to describe homes dysfunctional. And folks, remember what we were talking about where God says, you'll have no other gods before me. Folks, listen, when Jesus Christ is Lord of a home, there will be blessings that will come because of that, into the home. And a third thing, how about judgment? I know that's a topic that we do not like to think about or talk about, but sin always results in judgment. And that's 
proven in the Word of God. Folks, listen. Is our struggle in the American home a result of the work of sin, putting other gods before the Lord God? And please listen again what I'm saying from my heart. Folks, there is so much separation and divorce. There's so much abuse and rebellion in the American home. Is it because Jesus Christ is not Lord? May God help us. May God help us to again make Jesus Lord in the home and serve no other gods. But let's move to the fourth instruction that God gives. And that's found in verse 5. Listen to this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I want you to take just a moment. If somebody asked you to define love, what would be your, your definition? I was looking in some of the commentaries, and, and the word exotic was used. The word mysterious was used. <laughs> i got to admit, in my marriage, I've never used the word exotic or mysterious uh, to describe the love that Debbie and I have. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Folks, I, I, you know, you think about it, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, well, is it? I mean, after 30 years of marriage, do you still? I hope you do. But it's more than that. Because, you see, some people would say, well, my love kind of comes and goes. Sometimes I fall into love and sometimes I fall out of love. What's your definition of love? Well, let's get back to Deuteronomy 6, 5. I ask you that question because I want you to see something that I personally had never seen in this passage of Scripture until this week. Love in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, is a love that is commanded. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Look at this. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now, let me ask you something. Don't answer out loud, okay? How many of us like for somebody to command them to, us to do something? You have trouble with that? I do. If you want to make me mad, you just tell me I got to do this. And I started looking at that verse, and I thought, whoa, something is not right here. And I was reading the historical background of that day. Love was understood throughout the Near East as an attitude that was expected of a servant to his master and a subject to his king. Now, please don't turn me off. Listen to what I'm saying. God is teaching Israel, and he is teaching you and me that he expects us, even commands us to love him. Now, what right does God have to do? What right does God have to do that to us? I'm glad you asked. Look at this passage of Scripture, 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19. Look at that verse. I want you to say that verse with me, but I just want you to just let that verse just fill your heart and mind. What right does God have to tell me to love him? Now, let's read this verse. We love him because he first loved us. Now, how do you feel about God commanding you to love him now? Let me read another verse, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us 
One translation says commendeth. One says God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How can we not love God? This was not in my notes, and I'll close with this thought. Um, but this morning, is even in the middle of the sermon, um, I was thinking about how much knowledge you and I have of God compared to what these people back in Moses' day had. Now, folks, they had proof that God loved them. God had just delivered them from slavery in Egypt and they'd been slaves for over 400 years. God had revealed himself at Mount Sinai about who he was. For 40 years, God has been traveling with them, and he has daily been present with them, and he has been providing for them, and they are marching toward the promised land. But you and I are different. We live in a time in which you and I have proof that God truly loves us. And what is that proof? It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is all about love. For God so loved the world, he gave his son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And folks, this morning at the 830 service, it just dawned on me again that the New Testament is full of examples that show us that before we ever loved God, God loved us. Can you remember when you finally felt love for your parent? I've told you this story, and, and, and this is to my embarrassment. You know the first time that I really knew that I loved my mother? I was, I just finished my second year in college. I didn't have a car, but I was driving from Spartanburg, South Carolina, back to my hometown of Sumter. I was driving one of my friend's cars back home for him because he had gone to the beach with a bunch of his buddies. And I was by myself. I was out on Interstate 20. And I started thinking about how, God had, how good God had been to me. And I started thinking about my mother. And I am probably 21, 22 years old. And it finally dawned on me all that she had done for me. And for the first time in my life, I really felt like I loved her. I began to think about, about God. When did I find out that I love God. Well, when I was 16, almost 17 years old is when I asked Jesus to come to my heart and be my Savior. And I felt the release of all of my sins and I felt my whole life change and I knew that I loved him. But the thought hit me, how long has God loved me? Because you see, in those 16 years that I'd been absolutely rebelling and doing everything I could against God, God loved me. When did your parents start loving you? Was it when you became a good person and when you did everything they, they wanted you to do? I can truthfully say, and I feel that I'm speaking for every single parent, the day that I started loving my children was the day when I heard Debbie say, I am pregnant. The doctor confirmed it. And the love that God has for us is far greater than that. And one of the best pictures, and I want to remind you, this story just keeps coming back to my heart and mind. You remember we studied in Luke 15 about the prodigal son that went away and just he asked his dad for what he would get in inheritance and he took it and went away from his dad to a far country. And who knows what he did, but he blew everything. 
and he wanted to go home. And he began to prepare a speech, kind of a confessional for his dad. And he's going to say, Daddy, I really messed up big time, and I know you should not accept me back as a son, so please allow me to be one of your servants. And you remember that story so well? that his dad would scan the horizon every day looking for him to return. And one day as he scanned the horizon, he saw his son coming. And before the son could come up to him and said, Daddy, I have truly ruined my life and my relationship with you. Please forgive me. Please let me be one of your servants. You remember what the father did? He ran up and embraced him. And you remember as we were studying that passage of Scripture, something I had never, ever heard before until then, that in the, New T- in the Old Testament, and I think it's, I didn't go back because this was not a part of my notes today. I didn't go back, but I believe it was in the book of, of Deuteronomy where that if a, a young person rebelled against the family and brought shame to the home, that that young person could be stoned by the village elders. That daddy probably ran out that day because if there had been people that saw that rebellious son come back home, they could have gone out there and legally cast stones and killed him. But the father ran out there and embraced him in the event that if anyone threw a stone, it would not hit his son, it would hit him. That is the love of God for us. And when God says, you shall love me, don't be offended. He is not trying to make you do something you don't want to do, but he's trying to tell us, if you will examine how much I love you, you'll give me your whole heart and your soul and every bit of your strength. May God help us as parents, as men and women, to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength. And if we do, we'll pass it on to our children. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. It speaks and it cuts deep within. But, Father, we want to be responsible parents and godly fathers. Lord, help us to be willing to pay the price by fearing you, obeying you, and making you the Lord of our life, by loving you with all of our heart, soul, and might. Father, help us that we will model godliness before our children, and help us, Father, that we will teach them your word. In these moments ahead of invitation, Lord, I pray that you'll speak. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that you're leading to make a public profession of faith or rededication or even simply to come and kneel at this altar and give themselves to you anew and afresh, I pray, Father, that you'd lead them to do that. Lord, be honored and glorified in these coming moments. In Jesus' name.